good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. If I had one wish, if I had one wish, it would be this, it says, to live without fear in a world that's secure. Some say it's a fool's dream, but I'm not so sure. Earlier this week, I received an email uh, about an upcoming seminar that's going to be online. And the title of the seminar was Women Rising. Now, I don't know why they sent it to me. (laughs) Maybe because at that time I was singing You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman by Aletha Franklin. I don't know. (laughs) But what was written in that email resonated with me, at least the message about what it was about, and something that I had been thinking about. It said, in essence, that Sometimes it feels like we're living in two worlds. One world seems, at least on the surface, to be falling apart. Another feels like something new is seeking to emerge. And we are here to serve as midwives to help release that which no longer serves us. And at the same time, to help birth something that is seeking to be born anew. Probably what we're releasing are those matters that sometimes have us on the brink of what appears to be, at least to the human mind, disaster. Because it comes from a consciousness and a belief in fear, or at least an energy of fear. While ushering in a world that will possibly pull us from that brink and break us free from what appears to be, at least to our human perspective, a disaster based upon the power of love. And this is what moves us in that direction. And of course, as we mentioned, I think last month, we were saying that love is that energy, that presence that binds us all together. And it seems like anything but a sense of togetherness at times is actually what's happening. I wrote in my my blog earlier this week that America and, and the world's face seemingly more polarization than ever. And I said, well, maybe it just seems that way because, you know, because of the internet, because of social media, because of the technology of today, you know, information as well as misinformation spreads faster and broader now more than ever. Bringing to mind that statement that says that a lie will go around the world twice before the truth has a chance to put his pants on. 
So we can see that there's polarization in our politics. You know, there's polarization about what history should or should not be taught in public schools. What books should be chosen? You know, should it be done by the politicians or the educators? Divisions on over what to do or should we do anything about our environment? With one group siding with what appear to be trained experts who believe that we're in an ecological emergency. And others who believe that the climate change talk is overblown or an outright fabrication ginned up by climate alarmists. Sometimes the the chasm seems to be so wide that one wonders if it's possible to even close the gap. Because we read data, for example, that says there's an ever-widening income divide in America and other countries as well as between countries that some social scientists believe harms the well-being of our societies as a whole. After all, some people say, you know, I've got mine Whether you get yours, well, that's on you. So I think just a few of the polarizing issues that can go on and on and on, and I didn't bring up anything about the Oscars. That's a whole different program. (laughs) We have so many other things to worry about that we'll focus on that. Like I said, it's debatable if polarization is greater now or not, or whether it just seems that way. But regardless of what we believe, I believe like never before, we live in an amazing era. An amazing era, not only in this country, but also on the planet in which we live. Because more and more, we get to decide whether to be at the effect of the drama of all of this, or whether or not we want to contribute to the transformation of that drama that is taking place at the time to help direct the path that humanity will take based upon the thoughts that we have, the words that we speak, the actions that we take. Because that begins to set the direction. Because we can either contribute to the backslide or to the betterment of our world. The choice is always ours. Well, we mentioned we had some readings today uh, to close out the season of nonviolence to honor the work of Dr. Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi. And Dr. King was one of those individuals that, acknowledged, <clears throat> that we acknowledged during this season of nonviolence who made a contribution to, for the betterment of our humanity. It's actually 54 years ago tomorrow, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and like I said, that, ends, that represents the ending date of the season for nonviolence because that was his, the anniversary of his death. It's interesting that I remember where I was and what I was doing, even though I didn't really fully understand, you know, his philosophy. You know, I was at school at the time, and my, my, I was waiting, you know, outside on the street with, for one of my classmates to come over with his car to take us to an event. And I realized as I look back that Dr. King made a decision to contribute to help in the transformation of one of the most polarizing issues of his day that still reverberates in our society and our world. But he made a conscious decision to uplift the state of our being. And he did so in order to uplift the state of the world. Both Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi recognize each of us has the infinite potential to help heal our wounded and sometimes polarized world. You know, this past Thursday night, I went to the Madhavi Center at Davis. 
and to see a dialogue between uh, Ibram Kendi. Uh, he wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and he was having a dialogue with the dean of one of the schools there. And one of the things that he talked about were the events that took place or had been taking place in the world that had shaped his beliefs about himself, most importantly. But when he said it, it reminded me at a young age, uh, you know, that impressionable age myself, when I was about 12 years old, my family was moving from New York to Florida. And of course, we drove down during the Deep South. And this was right after the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And there still remained the, the, remem the remembrance or the, the, the reminders of the discrimination in the forms of signs that designated there were separate bathrooms and water fountains for blacks and whites. You know, sometimes I talk to my son and I realize that some people have to look that up on the Google. And I realize that I've been around for a while that I don't need to look it up on Google. But it created an indelible imprint on in my own mind as I thought about it and the impression upon me at a very early age in my life. And then I look back and realize that humanity had sometimes created self-imposed boxes and sense of limitation and separation. And I understand that I understood on some way or shape or form that sometimes folks treat others as objects and less than the rest of humanity. And when we do, we deny our world the God-given gifts all of us have to offer. And I recognize that way of being may have necessitated the passage of laws in order to try to change that. But here's the thing. I've come more and more to realize that it is important to make the case for spiritual values to help resolve not only that particular issue, but any polarizing issue of our day. Because it seems to be maybe a conscious or maybe an unconscious buy-in and a belief in separation, which is not a spiritual value. You know, as spiritual beings... All of our endeavors ought to be governed by our spiritual essence, by the spiritual movement through and as us. Mahatma Gandhi reminds us that there should not be any separation between any of our endeavors and spiritual principle. And of course, he was not talking about religiosity. He was not talking about rules or doctrines or dogmas in any way, shape or form that leads to an I'm right, you're wrong kind of way of seeing the world. So often people try to separate what they do from their religion, from their beliefs, but what they do is their religion. What they do is what they believe. And how we treat people and how we move through the world is what we believe. So to rise above polarization, we must reach back and maybe even reach in at times to the indigenous cultures that spans thousands of years where the movement of God was never separated from any walk of life. We must realize, and I believe live out our oneness and declare that if God is for us and God is for us, there can never be anything against us. Yes, if we look at the world around, we may ask, well, if God is everywhere present and God is everywhere present, if God is every present at every point in space and time, all at the same time, why does there seem to be a sense of polarization? Maybe it's because we're looking at, but it's kind of in our faces at times. 
so much of an us versus them that seems to exist. But here's the deal. When we see things rightly, we accept, I think, on a very profound level, very deep level, that everything indeed is working together for our good. And if we begin to accept that, then in truth, we realize that there is no duality because we live in a universe. There is only oneness that appears sometimes as two-ness in order for there to be movement of thought, in order for things to move forward. It simulates movement. And I believe that's what's happening, that the only reason that there are seemingly polarities of opposites in this three-dimensional world, I know I'm getting you know, philosophical today, but you know, this is kind of where I'm at. So there's movement. Whenever you have two seeming opposites and place them together, something moves in our visible world. But we understand that God's thought is complete. And as we move through this physical world, sometimes there's prayers of opposites to simulate motion, to make motion take place. So there's really no duality. There is no otherness. There is no otherness. There is only God. There is only one power. There is only that. And an infinite power that is everywhere present cannot have an opposite. It cannot have something else. And if God is everywhere, totally and completely, everywhere in his fullness, there can be nothing else. So when we convince ourselves of that truth, we begin to operate from that truth, we will have nothing to resist because we will stop creating it. We'll stop creating it. You know, the issues, the polarized issues, those things that we have, humanity has created, those things won't be there. They can only say, we can only say, only God is here. In our affirmation, we say, I'm divinely supported, maintained, and sustained by the presence and the power and the love of God itself. And so we're staying in tune with the spirit of the living God because one with this presence, one with this presence, that's all of our work is all about, to reunite, remember our oneness with this presence. And when we're one with this presence, that isn't majority consciousness. You know, we heard Deborah talk about uh, in, you know, the quantum living uh, classes and program, which I think, among other things, is to recondition. I don't know if recondition or to kind of help us relook at things, at life and experiences to the point that we can see that there's nothing and no one against us in a, in a grand sense. And when we see from that perspective, we see that when there's a so-called enemy, that person may be just a friend in disguise. And I think Dr. King knew this when he was advancing the cause of civil rights. His movement was resistance, resisted by the sheriff named Bull Connor. And Bull Connor sick dogs and ordered vicious attacks on peaceful protesters, including young children at that time. And he was using the dogs and, and powerful hoses against those individuals. And he was asked an interesting question. And he, asked, he was asked, did you consider Bull Connor to be an evil enemy? And he said, no. Because I needed Bull Connor to help fulfill my purpose and advance my cause. Today, I think we're living in a time of accelerated change. 
socially, technologically, politically. This upheaval, not only on so many levels in this country, but across the globe. This change signals there's a sizable paradigm shift afoot. And despite appearances, there is a good reason to believe that we're moving from one stage of being to a more evolved one. And we can create the results we want for our communities, for our country, and ultimately our world. Despite the seeming resistance, despite the seeming polarities. Because we recognize that the polarities, the resistance, is part of the process. I often mention Dr. Emily Cady who wrote the classic Lessons in Truth. And she called this whole thing chemicalization. And I mentioned in the earlier service that, you know, when they had those books printed, you know, they actually at one time took chemicalization out of the whole book because it appeared too negative. And then they put it back in because they knew it was real. You know, chemicalization is when there's a clash between an old idea and an emerging paradigm. Sometimes there are events on the outside that serve as evolutionary triggers to stir things up and to accelerate the manifestation of the highest state of our awareness. The evolutionary triggers wake us up to move through the process of evolution and to move it along more quickly. Now, Dr. King said something important. He said, you know, we talked about peace. He said, peace will not come on the wheels of inevitability. He says, it's not just going to happen. We have to begin to set our intentions and our actions in that direction. Because we are not automatons. We're not robots. We have choice. And I think that the most important ingredient to assure transformational success is the energy of love itself. You know, co-founder of Charles Fillmore, I quote from time to time, he says that love is the pure essence of the universe that harmoniously binds together the whole human family. And if we are to rise above the divisiveness of us versus them, the, that consciousness that sometimes appears so pervasive is necessary. That principle must underlie everything. I believe that our world is in need of individuals who are willing to be of service to the grand spiritual idea and the energy of love itself. Sometimes we see the news reports of today. We see the trials, the tribulations, this world and the beliefs in duality leading a tit for tat. I'll do this. And then that person said, well, I'll do that in response. We see that consciousness. But you also see people standing up and standing up for the love consciousness, and they say, I'm not going to give in to the hate. I'm not going to give in to the malice. I'm not going to give in to the resentment. You can call me crazy if you want. I just happen to think that everybody is their brother and their sister. You know, the, in the New Living Translation of the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Isaiah, the first chapter, or 11th chapter, in the sixth verse. It says that in the day of the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. The little child will lead them all. Somebody asked me, does that mean that everybody and everything is going to become vegetarians? <laughs> I said, no, not really. 
I think metaphysically, it just simply means that we're here to recognize that we are part of one human spiritual family, charged to live out as well as live from our oneness. And oneness also includes the recognition that whatever goes on within us, within us, is inherently connected to what goes on in the material world. That's why we say we work on ourselves first and foremost, because it's out picturing in our world. And we start by seeing the vision or the result we want to achieve before we manifest that vision. That has to be first. First within, then without. And how we get there really matters. You know, I mentioned the American author and architect and inventor, philosopher, I guess, futurist, renaissance man, I guess you would call him. Buckminster Fuller said something to the effect, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, you have to build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. It is incumbent upon our generation to imagine, to articulate, and to build the different world we want to see. The spiritual foundation that we operate from is most important. If we don't start with the spiritual foundation, we will build a new model on sand rather than rock, and it will not last. We must begin with the spiritual principles to create that new, evolved, and different world and not solely depend upon outer laws and the mechanical policies, which are necessary. But underneath that, we have to have the spiritual principle of oneness, when we see and operate from the lens of oneness and that realization that everyone and everything is interconnected, then we will never set up models that will harm another individual or to harm the planet in which we live. Nor will we create a separate categories or boxes and see a reality of an us versus them game. We'll begin to realize it is always us. And whatever we do to another or to the planet, we directly or indirectly do to ourselves. So our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to create the models we want to see from the principles of this oneness, from these principles of interconnectedness. And as we do, we can rise above the illusion of separation, rise above the permanent, seemingly polarizations, and that one wish will be fulfilled. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center
one heart.